Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everyone. Ben here. I'd just like to take a moment to thank some of our patrons. Owen Thompson. Dustin Lehman. Elliot Williams. Amy Dotter, Jeremy, Arnie Gonzalez, Medina, Nick Evans, Jonathan Summerton, Michelle Dallas. Thank you all. We really appreciate your support. If you'd like to join them, go to www.patreon.com forward slash Rusty Quill and take a look at our rewards. Rusty Quill presents The Magnus Archives Episode 86 Tucked In
statement of uh, Benjamin Hatendi regarding uh, uh, blanket, uh, dead friend, monster, regarding his unavoidable and gruesome end. How he tried to hide, he couldn't. Statement is from 1983, March 2nd, and I guess, I guess I'm doing this one. Tim Stoker, archival assistant, archival prisoner, the Magnus Institute. Statement. My parents never let me have a nightlight. I was always afraid, but they would just... This is stupid. This is stupid. Look, if, if anyone's listening to this useless tape, it was stupid when John was doing it, and it's stupid now. I mean, I mean, just, what's the point? We might as well be engraving them on wax cylinders. Whoever's listening to this right now, you're wasting your time. And if you work for the Magnus Institute, get out, if you can. I mean... That's what really pisses me off, you know? You spend so long getting used to a job. Uh, come in. Hi. Tim, right? Right. I'm Melanie. Right. Melanie King? I know who you are. I... Did Martin not explain? Yeah. Yeah, you work here now. You sound thrilled. It's not you. It's his fault. He didn't warn you properly, and now you're trapped here. With us. Oh, is this this whole, you can't quit because of spooky magic deal? Yeah. You tried. No. And I'm not going to. I need a job, and it's fine here. I like it. It's quiet. Sure. If you ignore all the corpses, and the monsters, and the disappearances... Oh, trust me, you'll find plenty of those elsewhere. If this whole give-quitting-a-try thing is meant to be some kind of subtle hint, I, I just feel like the two of you don't want me here. We don't. Martin's not big on change. I don't want anyone to be here. Well, thanks for making me feel like part of the team. You're suspicious and resentful, right? Welcome aboard. Good talk. Wait. Tell me about the two sashes. Uh, what? Martin said you were rambling about there being two sashes. Look, I don't... I don't know. I... Um... Well, the... The first time I came to give a statement, there was a young woman working here named Sasha. Um, and then when I... When I came in again, there was a different woman working here. And everyone called her Sasha as well, which... I didn't think was too strange. I mean, it, it's a common name, but everyone kept saying they were the same person, and, and they weren't. At all. John kept saying there'd only ever been one Sasha working there, but they were totally different. And everyone's been giving me really strange looks whenever I talk about it. What did she look like? What? Sorry? First Sasha. What... What was she like? Uh, she was... 
um, I don't, uh, maybe I'm, I'm getting it wrong, I, I, I just, okay, I, I can't, uh, No, I, I think I understand. Or can you explain? Who am I even sad for? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't, uh, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lie down. Um, can you record this for me? Uh, it's part of your job now. I guess the tape's already running. Uh, sure. Sure thing. Uh, <clears throat> right. Benjamin Hatendi's account of... Oh, a, a strange encounter. Uh, statement date, March 2nd, 1983. Melanie King recording, apparently. So, uh, marker. Right. Here we go. Uh, my parents never let me have a nightlight. I was always afraid. They were just that sort of stubborn which doubled down when I screamed or cried about something, instead of actually listening. So no matter how terrified I might have been, I would always end up sleeping in the dark. I don't know why it was such a cornerstone of their vision to see me grow up strong, but even as an adult they would tell me how they helped me get over my fear of the dark. It was such a point of pride for them that I could never bring myself to tell them, to say that the fear never really went away. I've heard that being exposed to the source of your terror over and over again can help break its power over you, numb you to it. But in my experience, it just teaches you to hide from it. Sometimes that might mean hiding in a quiet corner of your mind, but sometimes it's literally a blanket. It wasn't a specific blanket either. I didn't have it from childhood or carry it for security. It was just whatever was on my bed thin summer sheet or thick duvet, it didn't matter. As long as I could duck my head underneath it and curl into a ball, I was fine. Weirdly, the fact it was still pitch black when I was underneath those covers didn't bother me a bit. The darkness beneath the blankets was my darkness. It was warm and cosy. I trusted it. But that cold, hateful gloom waiting just beyond the thin wall of my sanctuary never really left my mind. Eventually I grew up, like pretty much everyone, and as the years passed I forgot my childhood fear. The blanket was just there to keep me warm. Until last week. The mother of an old friend of mine, Robin Patton, called me out of the blue. Now, at that point I hadn't really seen Robin in about three years, but she sounded close to panic, so I listened. She told me she hadn't heard from him in almost a month and was convinced something terrible had happened to her son. Apparently he lived alone, and I was the closest friend to Robin's address. She begged me to go over and see if anything was wrong. I feel a bit guilty about how long I put off going, although in the end I guess it didn't matter. Robin and I hadn't parted on bad terms or anything. He was just a bit dull, and I had no real wish to bring him back into my life. Still, 
I couldn't not check on him, not after that phone call. So eventually I drove the half hour over to his cheerful suburban bungalow. It was almost evening by the time I got out, and as I walked up to the front door I noticed that none of the windows were lit. I was reassured, though, when I saw a shape watching me from the kitchen. I couldn't really make it out, and it disappeared almost as soon as I'd seen it, but I managed to convince myself that it was Robin, probably wondering why I'd shown up at his door unannounced. I kept telling myself there was no reason to feel so uneasy. When I reached the front door, I saw it was open, and shadows spilled out of it like paint. It wasn't open so wide that you could have seen it from the street, but it was immediately clear that something was very wrong with Robin Patton, and I already regretted getting involved. I expected the door to creak when I pulled at it, but the hinges moved in complete silence. Inside, everything was gloomy, lit only by a few stray beams of sunset that had managed to slip in past the heavy curtains. There was no sign of any figure watching from the window, but something in the light made the shadows seem as if they were moving, forwards and backwards, shifting to a beat that only they could hear. I fumbled for a moment or two, looking for a light switch, until I was able to flick the ceiling lights on and the shadows retreated back to where they should have been. Inside, the place was an absolute mess. Robin had never been a tidy guy, but it looked like it hadn't been cleaned in weeks. A thin film of dust coated everything, and there was this rancid smell pervading the place that I thought must have been coming from the fridge. On the wall hung a calendar, still pinned to January, and from the looks of things he hadn't been living there in over a month. I was about to head out and find a phone somewhere to call Robin's mother, and then maybe the police when I caught another glimpse of movement. I saw through a crack in one of the doors that led further into the house. This time it was a slow, languid motion, and I was absolutely sure that I'd seen it. I called out for Robin, or for anyone who might be in there, to respond, but I got nothing but that same thick silence. My heart was thumping so hard I could feel my legs shake as I approached the door. I pushed it open and reached for a light switch on the wall. I found it, turned it on, and nothing happened. The room remained completely black, and for the first time in almost twenty years I began to feel that childish fear of the dark. Thankfully, I always keep a heavy torch in the car, in case I break down somewhere at night, so I went to fetch it. The weight in my hand was reassuring and solid as I walked slowly back and into that darkened room. In the light, I could see this was Robin's bedroom. There was a small writing desk covered with papers, a large oak closet, a single bed missing its covers, and a door to a small ensuite bathroom in the corner. As I went in, I noticed the dust in here wasn't as thick as in the rest of the house and that the last entry marked on his desktop calendar was the 12th of February. Empty food packets and bottles were strewn about the room and piled up in the corner. It looked like Robin hadn't left his bedroom in weeks. The rancid odour that I'd caught wind of outside was stronger in here, and I no longer thought it was coming from the fridge. Slowly and carefully, I made my way towards the wardrobe. 
It was a stark, imposing thing, a good two feet taller than I was. The smell was making my eyes water, but I pushed through. Even if I knew what I was going to find inside, I felt like I had to open it, if only so I could accurately describe it to the police. So that's what I did. I gripped the ice-cold brass handle, took as deep a breath as I could endure, and opened the door to the closet. The shape that slid out did not, at first, resemble anything I would have called human. It looked like a large, wet bag, glistening and slick, with a dark liquid that oozed from it onto the floor. I won't even try to describe the smell. It was only when I saw a shriveled, nearly skeletal hand gripping the edge of the bag from the inside that I realised what I was actually looking at. It was Robin. But when he had climbed into that cupboard, he had taken the sheets from his bed. He had wrapped them tightly around himself as he sat in there, clutching them in what I can only assume was mortal terror, and now, in death, they had fused to him, his own putrefying fluids mixing with whatever gross liquid had soaked into that thick fabric. How long had he sat there waiting? Hours? Days? Had it been since the twelfth? Two weeks before I had come to check on him? And as I stood there in utter horror, the growing pool of dark liquid touched the tip of my shoe. That's it. That's the moment that I believe it started for me. I, I don't know why particularly that moment fixates me. That There must have been dozens of other ways I called attention to myself. But even so, whenever I look back, I cannot shake the conviction that it was that moment I sealed my fate. Because I didn't watch where I put my feet. I called the police at that point. They were very understanding, although once a search turned up nothing, they didn't pay any attention to my insistence someone else had been in the house. For all the strangeness of it, there didn't seem to be any actual evidence of foul play, so I was really just offered some condolences and sent on my way. They were the ones that called Robin's mother in the end, and to be honest, I'm glad. I don't really think I could have handled that conversation. And then it was over. Nothing for me to do but go home and try to process what I was feeling, what I had seen in that dusty bungalow. And I thought I was doing okay, at least while the daylight held. But that night it came for me. I woke up at 2.40 in the morning. I don't know why. There was no sound to disturb me. Just a sudden and urgent need to no longer be sleeping. And as I opened my eyes, I felt that old fear of the dark hit me again with such force my muscles began to seize up. I raised my head just enough to get a clear view of the door to my room, and I saw what I somehow knew I was going to see. It was impossible to make out any details of the form that stood in the doorway. It was simply a patch of shadow even darker than the night that surrounded it. A silhouette in the pitch black. At first, I thought it was a trick of my eyes adjusting to the dark, but then it began to move. Its body was fat and bulbous, with no limbs or heads, so when it came towards me, it did so with a slow undulating pulse along the floor. 
I could see its outside was covered in what might have been feelers or fleshy tubes, and as it gradually made its way towards me, I could see them flicking out and spasming wildly in what looked horribly like excitement. Instinct, honed throughout my entire childhood, kicked in, and I pulled the thick blanket I was under up and over my head. I gripped the edges close to my chest, weeping and muttering desperate prayers. I clung to it, my tiny island of safety and protection, not even daring to stick my arm out to grab my phone from the nightstand. Who would I have called, anyway? Who could possibly have been prepared to deal with something like this? As my mind raced through the possibilities, I gradually began to realise that I could hear nothing from beyond the blanket nor did it appear I had been devoured by whatever the thing in the darkness was. Very gently, I poked my head out from my sanctuary. It was still there, looming in the doorway, utterly still. As soon as I saw it, though, it convulsed back into movement and started once again making its way towards me, painstaking and slow. I dived back under the covers, gripping them tighter than ever. Another hour passed, and then two, but it was only when I poked my head out that the thing would move. As ridiculous as it sounds, it seemed that while I was under the covers it couldn't move. It couldn't get me. I stayed under the rest of the night. When the daylight began streaming in the next morning, I finally left the safety of my bed to see what had become of the thing. It was gone, unsurprisingly, and in its place there was simply a small patch of dark, foul-smelling water. I wasn't quite ready to celebrate, though, and the following night proved me right, because it came back I woke again and saw it start that twitching, torturous journey towards me. So back under the covers I went, heart racing, desperately trying to think through what might be happening to me. In retrospect, it's odd that at no point did I even consider that I might be hallucinating. I never had any doubts that the thing was real. At some point, I finally fell asleep and I guess I managed to stay under that blanket. That's been my life for the last week and a half. I wake up, gripped by terror of the dark and hide under the covers from this thing that only comes closer when I leave their protection. It's been awful, obviously, but in the end it wasn't the gradual wearing down of my nerves that got me. If anything, it was the opposite. I got too comfortable. Last night, I woke up like before. I sensed it there, but as I raised the covers over my head, I realised that I wasn't worried. Fear had given way to routine. I lay there, warm and protected, and simply waited to fall back to sleep. But this time, what I felt instead was a sudden weight pressing down on the end of my bed. 
whipping tendrils began to smack and grasp against my flimsy fabric barrier. I could see that shape of absolute darkness looming over me, quivering with triumph. Then I heard a voice, crisp and clear, whispering, and it said, The blanket never did anything. I won't describe what happened after that. You've taken plenty of photos of my back and shoulders already. To say it hurts is the least of its horrors. That thing will come for me again tonight. I know it will. And there is nothing that can protect me. I just thought sharing my story might help some other poor idiot in the future. I miss my blanket. Hiding was always so much easier. Marker, a statement ends. Well, uh, that was, I suppose this is what I do now. Um, there, there aren't any photos in the file, uh, certainly not of strange supernatural injuries. There's a photocopy of a death certificate for Benjamin Hatendi. Looks like Martin has highlighted the cause of death. Uh, says, unknown, possible biological agent, all samples incinerated. It's dated as March 7th, 1983, five days after this statement. Then there are some old cuttings about Robin Patton, profiles from magazines. Uh, oh, he must have been quite something in the hiking community. Ah, apparently he wrote a book, something about the best natural pools and lakes for swimming. Yeah, mostly just background fluff and pictures of the guy emerging topless from waterfalls. Hmm. Wasn't bad looking before, well, that. Uh, anyway, uh, doesn't look relevant. I, I, I suppose that's... It. Uh, the only other thing in there is a sealed Ziploc bag containing an old fabric tag. Fantastic. <laughs> Looks like it might be from a mattress or a duvet, maybe. It's uh, It's got some rather pronounced dark stains on the end. It's probably nonsense. It's all probably nonsense. But I'm going to keep it sealed. Uh, I suppose that's a wrap. Thank you for meeting me. Well, why wouldn't I? It's not like you're wanted for murder. Then you keep it down. Sure. I'll just quietly sit here and become an accessory, shall I? You, you, you know I didn't do it. Oh. Oh, do I? Is that what I know? All right. Why didn't you send the police then? If you genuinely think I'm a killer, why meet me? Well, I mean, it's its not like you've got any reason to kill me. Hmm. Fine. I don't think you did it. But I still don't want to get caught up in whatever it is. <laughs> Should have thought about that before you joined the Institute. What is the deal with you people? Look, I know it's kind of a boys' club, but you all really hate me being there, don't you? What? No, I... 
There's a lot of very messed up things going on there, and I... I mean, we were already tied to them, but you, I just... You, you didn't need to get involved. I really don't think that's true. How's the leg? Fine. Got shot by a ghost. Uh, uh, Look, what? can we not do that now? I'm really not in the mood. What do you want? I... Right, it's... Like I said, there's a lot of messed up stuff at the Institute, and I think the murders might be the least of it. I need someone on the inside to keep an eye on things. Let me know what's going on. I'd ask someone else, but... Uh... Tim hates you, and Martin's probably being watched. And Elias is my chief suspect, so... I'm also rather missing the library. My investigative tools out here are, uh, lacking. You know what? Fine. Fine. But you tell me everything, okay? Everything. I mean, you, you won't believe it. I don't care. All right. All right. Start with Sasha. The Magnus Archives is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. Today's episode was written by Jonathan Sims and directed by Alexander J. Newell. To subscribe, view associated material, or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online, tweet us at the Rusty Quill. Visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at rustyquill.com. Join our communities on the forum via the website or on Reddit at r slash the Magnus Archives. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.